0: welcome to gen z money episode 46 every single property in the world has a purchase price that will work for it to be a rental property with that being said every seller is not going to sell their property at a price where it would make a good rental property What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Gen Z Money Podcast, where we turn financial peace to your reality. I'm your host, James Bowman, and today I'm flying solo again, guys. This is going to be an episode where I break down how to purchase your first rental property. This is mainly pertaining to long-term rentals, but I'll, you know, I'll throw in some short-term rentals or vacation rentals and things like that. As we go along, but really, you know, it's a very, very interesting topic of like, James, what do I need to be looking for when purchasing a rental property? And I'm going to be frank with you guys, I'm not going to be able to hit every single different uh, thing that's going to come up when you're looking to purchase a rental property. I'm going to hit on the basics. I'm going to hit on things that I encounter in my markets where I buy. And I'm just I'm not going to be able to account for every single market because things change as you go around the country, especially when you go overseas. With that being said, guys, if you guys enjoy this breakdown, let me know in the comment section or or shoot me a message on social media. Say, hey, I really love that breakdown. I really love when you do solo episodes and I'll do them a little bit more often. I'm starting to do them a little bit more often when I come into topics that I think I can cover on my own. With that being said, guys, let me start off by saying every single property in the world has a purchase price that will work for it to be a rental property. With that being said, every seller is not going to sell their property at a price where it would make a good rental property. So in a lot of markets, especially with the inflated markets going on, you're going to run into... A lot of markets that just are not conducive to renting for long term. Rents have not caught up with home equity and home value increases over the last two to three years since the coronavirus. So I always want to preface it by that every single property has a purchase price where it makes sense. Another thing I want to preface by this the numbers do not lie. Guys, if there's one thing, that is constant in the universe. As far as we know, it is math, right? Math does not make mistakes. Only the person interpreting the math does. So when you have a property, you're going to be analyzing hundreds of deals to maybe find one, two, three that actually work practically. So you have to learn to trust the numbers. And later in the episode, after I go through all this stuff, I'm actually going to break down a specific property in my market. I'm going to show you guys how I come to all of these different numbers and how I figure out what each thing is and how to do the equation. I'm going to give you guys a resource for a calculator you can guys use, you guys can use in order to do all of this, but. The numbers do not lie. Do not try and fudge the numbers because the only person that you're fooling, the only person that you're tricking is yourself, okay? So be honest with yourself and don't try to fudge the numbers because you're just gonna make yourself look stupid. Before we go any further, let's hear a word from today's show sponsors. So with that being said, let's break it down to the basics, guys. Let's talk about single family homes. Here, I'm gonna list out a bunch of different things that expenses that you're going to have on a rental property. So that way you guys have an idea, right? So you're gonna have your principal and interest payment. If you have a loan, most people are gonna be taking out mortgages on these properties. So that needs to be factored in. You're gonna have property taxes, not only county property taxes, but in some cases you're also gonna have city property taxes. So all of that needs to be accounted for. You're going to have insurance, homeowners insurance that needs to be accounted for. You're going to have, and I highly suggest, property management where a professional is coming in and managing this property, making sure that you're abiding by all the laws as a landlord and they're abiding by all of the tenant laws. You can choose to manage your properties on your own and save that money, but I always like to factor it in when we're trying to Understand all of the expenses that go into the property because you might be able to manage one property, you might be able to manage two. But if you're blessed and you get up to 10, 12, 13 properties, at some point you might want to manage or delegate out that stuff or even create your own system of property management that you have to pay for in order to take care of that. So a lot of people manage on their own, but I highly suggest you take that into consideration when you're purchasing a property. Next, we have capital expenditures. So capital expenditures are things like a new roof, a new refrigerator, a new stove, a new water heater, a new HVAC system. All of these things, they have very, very long lifespans over five, 10, 20 year lifespans on some of these things. That meaning that you need to systematically save every single month a portion of your income to cover these big ticket items. If you have 20 years to save for a roof, It's very, very expensive. So if you're saving small amounts every single month to pay for that after 10, 20, 30 years, it's going to be a lot easier. So you need to factor that into your monthly expenses, savings for all those big things repairs and maintenance these are uh, smaller things if if a stove handle breaks or the refrigerator needs more cooling i don't know a leaky toilet these are things that are going to come up much more frequently now you might go a couple months without needing to replace any of these things but they are going to come up and you need to allocate for those things during the monthly when you're collecting month uh when you're collecting money monthly from your tenants. So you need to be setting money aside to make those repairs every couple months or even every month, depending on the condition of the property and the condition of your tenants and vacancy. So vacancy, you know, at some point your tenant is going to move out. Like it's it's almost guaranteed. Therefore you need to be accounting for that every single month as you go forward. You might have a 10-day vacancy. You might have a two-month vacancy. It really, really depends on your market and of course the demand of your property, but it still needs to be accounted for every single month. And of course, I know I'm throwing a lot at you guys, but these are very small percentages that add up over a long-term. And I'm gonna break that down even more once we actually go into the deal deep dive when I pull it up for you guys. Things that are specific to every property, specific to every area, you need to take into account HOAs. If there's a homeowners association, not only do you need to factor in the price of that, but you also need to factor in the rules of that. Do they have a rule of how many rentals they can have in that neighborhood? Are they currently maxed out for how many rentals? Are you even allowed to rent in that neighborhood? These are all things that you need to consider beforehand when purchasing a property. You need to read that HOA handbook, figure out how much it is, figure out how much it goes up every single year. A lot of them have systematic increases. Some of them have no HOA, but they have special assessment fees where you might need to come up with $5,000, you know, in 30 days to replace a roof. You need to understand these things before you purchase the property. Next thing, flood insurance. This is a big one, guys. I do not purchase homes in flood zones. Let me tell you why. Flood insurance is at, you are at the mercy of the insurance companies, right? The insurance companies can literally, at a whim, snap their fingers and change your flood insurance premium to where you were cash flowing beforehand and now you're no longer profiting. You're actually losing every single month. I've had plenty, I've heard plenty of stories and actually have plenty of uh, people I associate with that have said, yeah, my flood insurance went from $500 a year to $1,500 a year, and that completely destroyed a lot of my returns, or even bigger, like they've gone from 5000 to 2500 So, this is something that is highly volatile, and although... I wouldn't say it's a 100% deal breaker. Every single property is different. It still needs to be accounted for. And you need to understand there is more risk me purchasing this property in a flood zone because I'm always going to be required this flood insurance as long as I have a mortgage on the property. And it can go up every single year. And the likelihood of it going down is, uh-uh. so I would not uh, trust buy a property. Like, oh, flood insurance is high this year. But it's going to go down because the odds of it going down is not. Next thing, I'm going to go over a, a couple other things that are kind of specific to multifamily properties, but they can also, um, they can also happen on single-family properties. Things like utilities, right? If the utilities are not split, or if if the landlord is required to cover the utilities, that needs to be factored in. Okay. Lawn care, a lot of times with a multifamily, you can't just tell one tenant, hey, you need to take care of the lawn. Normally, it's just factored into that rent payment and you need to cover it. So always factor in if you need lawn care and also snow removal for if you're in the northern states, you are probably going to have to manage snow removal every, um, I don't know, I don't live in the north, so I don't even know how often you do snow removal, but it needs to be factored into the rent. Okay, whether if it if you pay I don't know a hundred dollars a month, then that needs to be factored into the rent and split across the units. Or if it's, you know, I don't know, I I'm speaking from pure ignorance on that point, guys. And then the last thing is an increased capital expenditures for things like multifamily properties. If you have a multi dwelling, if you have a duplex, a triplex, a quadplex. You are going to need multiple refrigerators. You're going to need multiple HVAC systems. You're going to need multiple dishwashers, multiple stoves, a bigger roof, because the property is naturally bigger. So if you're buying a multifamily property, then you have to factor in more of these things. I know I know what y'all are thinking, right? Y'all are probably thinking, well, James, if it's a multifamily, I'm getting more rent. So it's okay. More, more rent, more expenses. Yeah, Okay, but you still have to factor in that a lot of your capital expenditures and a lot of your repairs are going to essentially be doubled. So be prepared for that and take that into account when you're analyzing a property. Now, I have gone over you know, the process of buying a home with Mike, right? I've gone over the process of applying for a mortgage with Casey. So if you guys want to go back in those episodes and you guys will be able to actually see the mortgage process and uh, the home buying process, how to submit offers. So I really don't want to deep dive into those, but after hitting all of these different um, things, Let's go ahead and talk about understanding your financing options for purchasing a rental property. If you're going to house hack, which house hacking is you're going to live in the property is going to be your primary address and either you're going to rent out other rooms to people or you could even be living in like a duplex, triplex, quadplex and renting out other units to other people you're still going to be eligible for those low down payment things, such as VA home loans with 0% down. You're going to be eligible for FHA loans with 3.5% down. You're going to be, if it's a single family home, you're going to be eligible for 5% down conventional home financing for primary residents. With that being said, you can only go if it's going to be a primary residence, you can go only go up to 4 units, a quadplex. And if you're going to go to a duplex, triplex, quadplex, a lot of conventional lenders even if it's your primary residence, they're not going to finance more than 20 or they're going to require you to put down between 20 and 25%, but that depends on the lender, okay? But I just want to specify that if you are going to be primary residencing in that property you still have options to low low interest and low down payment home loans but that being said if you're not let's say you like your house and you're just gonna go ahead and buy another house and rent it out that's fine you're going to run into 20 to 25 percent down home loans and these are for long-term tenants so the interest rate is going to be a bit higher than if it was a primary residence. And of course, it also depends on your credit score. So I I don't want to overwhelm you guys, right? But there are just so many different avenues that come into buying a rental property. Um, and the, the saying, you know, how do you eat an elephant? Well, it's one bite at a time. So when you're listening to this, you truly need to conquer one bite at a time. Okay, first, I need to make sure my credit score is good. Then I need to make sure my, I have my down payment, whatever option I'm going to go with, then I want to make sure that I'm analyzing properties. I know what a good deal you take them one bite at a time. And you might be able to do two things at once, but the whole focus is you have to conquer the elephant. And once you conquer it one time, the second time's just a little bit easier. You've gone through it. You've made mistakes. You, and so every single time after that, you're going to get better. You're going to get more confident and it's going to become easier for you. Now, we just talked about investment properties being between 20 and 25% if you're just buying it and putting a long term tenant in there. But if you plan on doing short term rental, you are possibly, check with your lender, eligible for doing like a 10% down vacation home. Now, of course, that comes with stipulations. It needs to be, you know, X amount of miles away from your primary residence. You know, it can't be where you already own 10 properties. And there's all these stipulations that your lender will be able to help you with. But that is a big option that I see a lot of investors going with to fund these short-term rentals in vacation spots and touristy areas is doing a 10% down vacation home. And I want to say the requirement for that is you need to live in the property for a minimum of 14 days out of the year. So if you go and stay for three weeks, the rest of the year you can short-term rent it or even long-term rent it to other tenants, but you can't just buy it with 10% down and put a long-term renter in there for a year long lease because you're not gonna be able to meet your uh, residence requirement for the vacation home. So the closing costs, we talked about closing costs with Casey. They're going to be similar. Again, your interest rate may be a little higher. You might have some more points. The point I really want to hit home is your interest rate is not going to be the same on a primary residence compared to an investment. So you need to factor that into the numbers that you're going to be running. And again, I'm going to go over all of this with an actual property live on here where you guys can see it on YouTube, where you can listen to me walk through it on the podcast, wherever you're listening. But I am going to go over that. And then the last thing I want to talk about when it comes to financing is reserves, right? I think this is another one of the big problems with real estate investors is they are not purchasing properties with the proper amount of reserves. In I can almost guarantee you, if you purchase a property, whether it's a primary home or an investment property, if you do not have the proper reserves, something is going to go wrong as soon as you purchase it. It's, It's just a, it's a rule of law. I'm telling you it's, you can ask anybody, right? If you do not have the money, you're more likely to run into problems. So what I do, what I suggest, this is just me, I'm a scaredy cat, I'm, a, I'm still a beginning investor. I like to have $5,000 in liquid cash and a $5,000 line of credit for every single property I own. That gives me $10,000 of working capital per property. Now, let's say I have a property that needs $12,000 worth of work. Well, if I own two properties, I have $20,000 available. I can, you know, borrow some to use for other properties. But that is the rules and guidelines I go through. I, and the reason is I want my money working for me, but I also want available capital. Now, real fast, let's go over when I say line of credit, what does that mean? Does that mean a credit card? No, not for me personally, right? I'm I'm using things like home equity line of credits, business line of credits, something that I can actually go take physical cash out of with not an excessive fee and pay it to people like contractors or go to Lowe's and buy materials or things like that, so... That is what I personally use. I don't use a $5,000 credit card. I use line of credits because they're they're much easier accessibly. And they also don't have as many fees attached like credit cards with cash advance and things like that. So that's what I personally use. And of course, I always delegate whether I'm going to use the line of credit or the cash. It just depends on the current state. Am I about to buy another property? Well, then I'm probably going to use the line of credit or if I'm going to whatever the case is. So that's with the reserves so we talked about conventional financing what you're going to be looking like in closing costs another option to purchase a rental property which is becoming a lot more common nowadays with interest rates going up are adjustable rate mortgages me and casey also went down the road of adjustable rate mortgages the rules behind that so if you guys do have not seen That episode, I highly, highly suggest you guys go and watch that episode. It is episode... If you guys have not gone to see episode 36 with Casey about being approved for a mortgage, go listen to that because we break down adjustable rate mortgages down to the core, right? We talk about... How much can they raise your interest rate? How often can they raise your interest rate? Essentially, it is a fixed rate mortgage, or it is it is fixed for a certain amount of time whether there's three years, five years, seven years, 10 years, or whatever you guys agree to. And then the rate can adjust after that every year or every often that you guys discuss. So that is an option. You can currently get an adjustable rate mortgage. You can lock it in for three years. And now you're at like 3% compared to other rental properties being at 6% so it is an option just realize you are going to open up yourself to vulnerability after that fixed rate has expired therefore you need to have an exit strategy which we're going to go over in a second so whether it's refinancing into a fixed rate refinancing into another adjustable rate depending on rates selling the property after 3 years i mean there there are tons of different exit strategies but You need a sooner exit strategy if you're using an adjustable rate mortgage because you cannot guarantee it for the life of your loan. And then the last financing option, which is the least favorable for me personally, but it's a very, very effective tool are commercial loan products. What do I mean by that? I mean, there are loans such as debt service coverage ratio loans. There are loans such as fix and flip loans or bridge loans. These are commercial financing tools that have a much higher interest rate than conventional tools, but they are much more flexible. You can buy a wider variety of properties with these types of loans. So you're going to be paying more. You're going to be it's going to be a more expensive loan option, but it's going to give you a wider array of properties that you're eligible to buy. That maybe might not qualify for conventional financing, or you you just cannot use conventional financing anymore because you've maxed it out. These are all loans that are lumped into that, but they are going to be more expensive than the other loan options we talked about. And these also include things like hard money loans and things like that. Now... let's go. And I know I'm throwing a lot at you guys. I'm really trying to I'm trying to bring it down to a base level where most people can understand. So feel free to comment on the video if you truly don't understand something or even go as far as messaging me on Instagram and say, hey, can you make a video explaining this? I don't really understand. And I promise you, I have no problem breaking this stuff down even more. This is just a umbrella video to show you guys all of the options and all the variety it comes to when investing in real estate, you know, purchasing your first rental property. Now, let's go to my favorite and the most overlooked. When you're purchasing an investment property, you should always have multiple exit strategies. James, what is an exit strategy? An exit strategy is how do you plan on exiting this deal this property, this transaction when the time comes. So a lot of times what people will do is they'll buy a property that only works in one way, for example, a cabin in the Great Smoky Mountains, that is something that is highly desirable for people, because the profitability of it short term rental is astronomical, you can make a great profit. That's the only value in these cabins. So there's only one exit strategy. Well, I would consider two exit strategies for these properties. Either you short-term rent it and you get those gains, those short-term rental gains, or you sell it. And that's fine. But if there is a market shift, let's say we we are already in a recession. So let's say we head deeper into the recession. Many people start losing their jobs. Many people are not vacationing as much. And now your short-term rental is not creating a profit anymore. Now it's losing you money. And, and you try to sell it, but because it's not a profitable property, nobody wants to buy it. Nobody has jobs. Nobody can buy it. Now, what what other option do you have? You could try and long-term rent it and lose less money. But the point I'm trying to get at is every property you purchase should always have multiple exit strategies. You should be able to sell it, or you should be able to short-term rent it, or you should be able to long-term rent it. I think that if you're buying a property that only has one exit strategy, then you're you're opening yourself up to much more risk than you might be able to tolerate this early in the game if you're listening to this video. So for example, my property, I'm about to purchase a property outside Savannah right now. My primary goal for this property is to long uh, is to short term rent it. I think it's going to make a short term rental. I think that's the most popular way and that's going to be the most profitable for this property. What if it doesn't work? Well, I've ran the numbers to realize okay, if it doesn't work as a short term rental, let's say I run into things and it just does not work, the property just does not profit, nobody's booking it, whatever. I have the option to now long-term rent it and it will still create a profit long-term renting. It just will not be. It just will not be as profitable as it would be short-term renting. So that is having multiple exit strategies. Okay, if I cannot short-term rent it, then maybe I can business, a corporate rent it where I rent it for 30 days at a time or 90 days at a time. If that doesn't work, okay, I can long-term rent it for a year-long tenant If that doesn't work, then I can move into it and lower my living expenses and do something with the current property I live in. If that doesn't work, I can sell the property. So it's like I have four to five layers of my plan for purchasing a property. Therefore, I have multiple exit strategies when it comes to this property. And that goes back to the adjustable rate mortgage. You need to have multiple exit strategies to get out of an adjustable rate mortgage in a timely manner, whether that's refinancing into a fixed rate, refinancing into a commercial loan, refinancing into another adjustable rate, selling the property and paying off the loan. These You just need to have a list of different exit strategies when you're going into these higher risk investing methods. So... That is the thing about having multiple exit strategies. And I think every single investor should have multiple exit strategies when they're coming into these things. Now, I did hear a very, very valid argument one day, and I I did a lot of thinking about it. And that was, well, James, when Marriott builds a hotel, they don't have an exit strategy. When Hilton builds a resort, they don't have another exit strategy, either it works or it doesn't. Nobody's just going around buying resorts, so you can't sell it off the whim. You know, it has to work for the purpose it was built. And that's a very, very valid point. I guess the, the only combat I have for that is that people like Hampton, people like, you know, whoever builds these resorts and things, they have a proven concept. They have years of analytical data for an area before they decide to build something so massive there and take that big of a risk. They also have other properties that will supplement this bad investment if things go wrong. So although they do not have multiple exit strategies, they have structured their business to a point where even if all goes well, they are able to supplement that bad investment against other good investment, other successful resorts or successful hotels. It's the same thing for real estate investors. If you only have one rental property, and you have your home and a rental property, if that property fails, now the only thing supplementing that property, the only thing stopping the bank from taking it is your income. So your income, if you stop working, now you lose that house, you also lose your primary residence, and and you're on the street. So again, I understand the argument and it's a very very valid argument i just think you if you're going to go in with absolutely no exit strategies you need other means of supplementing this investment in case it goes bad you don't want to bet your farm on you don't want to put every single dime you have in this property and have it flop that goes back to having reserves right that goes back to having multiple exit strategies so that is the most valid argument I've heard, and, and I give it plenty of props. But again, I think it's a very case-by-case basis. And if you're watching this video, I, I, I love to talk about taking risks, but I love even more to talk about taking calculated risks. So betting your farm on one business idea and either it makes you or breaks you, I think is a bad way about going about it, and you're playing the odds against you. Now, all right guys. So we just talked about a whole bunch of stuff. We talked about all of the things to calculate when purchasing a rental property. We talked about all of the unforeseen things that can come up like HOAs, flood insurance, snow removal, things like that. We talked about loans, uh, ways to finance purchasing a rental property, down payment options, closing costs, and things like that. We talked about exit strategies. So now what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to share my screen with on YouTube. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, you can listen through this or you can jump on YouTube and actually watch. But we're actually going to go over what an actual thing would look like. So let me. All right. So what this is, this is a bigger pockets calculator you guys can go to I'll have the link in the description for this. But this is what I'm going to be using to go over this property break down the number show you all the things that you need to be taking account for and how I'm actually factoring in these things and finding the actual number values because you can just plug in whatever you want. But if it's not accurate, it's not accurate. So I'm going to have this link in the show notes. You do have to pay for this calculator if you want to use it, but there are other calculators that are also free that you can use. I'm just using this one because I have some free things so I can do. Right. So, and we're going to be using a property that is in my area. That is very close to me and in, in the Savannah market. This is a property that was listed today. It's listed for 180,000 are what we're going to try and figure out is this property. Would this property make a good rental? All right. So let's break it down, right? This is the listing we found. It was built in 2009. It has central heating, central air. It has a garage. It's 1,400 square feet, listed 22 hours ago. New to the market, one-car garage. It's obviously, it looks like a townhouse to where it's connected in this picture. It's a two-bed, two-bath home. Now, Let's go ahead. We're going to walk through the bigger pockets calculator and we're going to see if this makes a good rental property purchase price. We're going to put in here the asking price of 180,000, Put that there Our estimated closing costs in my area. Closing costs right now are between 8,000 and $10,000. That may seem like a lot guys. Again, it's just market dependent and it's very lender dependent. We're, we're gonna, we're not gonna check the box for rehabbing because the property looks in pretty decent condition. It's got fresh paint, fresh floors and all that. Let's scroll down. What kind of down payment are we going to do? Well, I don't plan on living in this property at all. I just plan on purchasing it and putting a tenant in. So I'm going to go with a 20% down payment. That'd be $36,000 on this property interest rate that we're looking at is around between six and six and a half percent in my market. So that's what I'm going to plug in, you can always contact a lender and get what the interest rates currently are, and they change every single day. So you need to stay on top of that. I'm gonna put no points. We talked about points in my episode with Casey. So if you guys want to learn about points to buy down your interest rate or whatever, go listen to that. And we're looking at a 30 year fixed rate mortgage, where the 6% is fixed for the 30 years. And that's that. Rental income. So James, how do you figure out how much a property can rent for? Well, there's this great, great product I'm going to have down in the show notes, which is called Rental Meter. So you come to Rental Meter, you put in the address, I've already pre-filled it for you guys. I put in the current rent that I'm paying. And I'm just I just put in a random number, it doesn't matter what number you put here, because it's going to populate the same Data, regardless, you're gonna put in the demographics of the property, two bedrooms, one and a half or more bathrooms. Look back over the last twelve months, and all this is pretty much you know whatever. see i can I can put in a thousand and it's still gonna come back the same. same data. So in this market where I live in the surrounding area market, you guys are gonna see the map here, the average rent for a two bed, Two bath is $1,300 a month. The median is 1334. The low percentile is 1150. And then the high percentile is 1450. So now we know the current rent for this property is somewhere between 1150 and 1450. But let's just say we're gonna get the top, right? We're gonna get the top percentile. So we're gonna put in 1450. That's how much the market says this rent's gonna go for. Another misconception, guys you don't dictate what rent is. The market does. So if you buy a house that everybody else is renting for $1,500 and you try and rent it for $2,000, nobody's going to rent it, okay? The market decides what you what a property rents for, not you. So as we go down, now we're getting into the juicy part, guys. But now we're going to be filling in expenses that I talked about earlier. Property taxes. We can go back to the Zillow listing that I found. And this listing in particular did not have any property tax information on it. Therefore, I had to figure out another way. Now you can go to the county commissioner's website and look it up that way. I'm lazy, right? I like to do just estimate ballparks. So I just come down here and I use this property tax estimate of $152. This is another thing. I know the Savannah market. I know that that property tax, that county property tax, is pretty right. What I also know, which is very very important for you guys to catch on to, is that that's only county property taxes. The city of Savannah actually has a city property tax, which is a little bit less than the county. So the property tax listed here is one fifty two. I know with county with city property taxes, it's probably going to be closer to two fifty two total and that's monthly. Insurance, I'm just going to go, insurance is pretty normal around here. I'm going to go off the Zillow estimate. It's not going to be perfect, but you can work with your insurance agent to figure that out, and that's going to be $63 a month. It's between $63 and $85 a month in this area, depending on your deductible and things like that. Moving on, repairs and maintenance. What I use in my market, again, this is going to be very market specific. You need to figure out costs in your market you need to figure out contract labor costs in your market to figure these things out i know in my market in the savannah area about five percent for repairs is a is a good ballpark to be around five percent vacancy is also a good to be around and five percent capital expenditures depending on the the depending on the age and well-being of the property. Is it a newer property? Is it an older property? Whatever that is, I like to use 5%. And I know the management fees in my area are are 10% on average. And again, you don't have to have specific numbers. These percentages, they're going to calculate for you. Electricity, let's say I put a long-term tenant in there. I don't want to be responsible for their utilities. So I'm not paying electric. I'm not paying gas. I'm not paying water. HOAs. I am paying. You cannot rely on your tenant to pay the HOAs. The HOA for this property was imported over is $78 a month. Again, add it to your expenditures. Garbage. I'm not paying for garbage. Tenant pays for that and everything other tenants paying for. That's it. It's, It's very, very simple to use these calculators, guys. So let's analyze it and let's look at what this property breaks down to. So we already said we're going to be getting $1,450 in rent. Our expenses total after factoring everything in is going to be $1,600 a month. That means we are going to be losing about $133 per month if we own this property and we put a tenant in for 140, one, uh, $1,450. Now, I know you guys may be like, whoa, James, how does that work? Okay, listen, you're not literally losing that money every single month because you're not paying vacancy every single month. You're not making repairs every single month. You're not buying a capital expenditure every single month. But over a five-year span, over a three-year span, over a 10-year span, it's going to average out to what we just talked about, okay? And it says this is how much money you're going to be bringing down to purchase a property, $44,000. And of course it breaks down everything we just put in, you know, and then it comes down to the returns. So your return on investment is gonna be 83. I don't know how that came up, but your cash on cash return, essentially you're losing 5% every single year. That's not good for an investment property. That needs to be, I like to see between 10 and 12% on cash on cash return as you see higher rents and lower expenses that's where that number is going to come from but here it is it breaks down you know every single thing it explains how every year year 1 year 2 year 3 how your equity is going up in the property it's also going to be show you your loan balance what that's going to look like over the lifetime and also as you can see here on cash flow even though you're losing $2000 a year on cash flow year 1 uh, year two is going to be better. Year three is going to be better. The, the property is going to become more profitable. Now, a lot of people go into this and they think, okay, well, if I'm going to hold the property for 30 years anyways, then I want to capitalize on, I'll, I'll lose money for five years to get a 30-year return. That's fine. I don't have an issue with that. Um, I just don't do it. I know that flow keeps you in the game. So if I'm losing money every single month, that's harder after working my job or more money I have to take out of other properties to fund this one. And I'm just not playing that game, right? I want to cash flow from day one and just go about my business. So, yeah, that is a very, very, very dirty, quick breakdown on how to... Run the numbers on a rental property. Again, I know that it's a lot to consume, guys, but this is something that literally it is trial and error. Once you analyze five properties, the sixth property is going to get a little bit easier. Once you analyze 10, the 11th is going to be a little bit easier. It's going to get to a point where you can pull up a listing on your phone. You can see the purchase price. You can see the area it's in. And you already know, okay, this property rents for this amount. These are going to be my expenses. You will know within 10 seconds, either this is going to cash flow or it is not. I know what interest rates are right now. I know what capital expenditures are right now. This is not going to cash flow. Your analysis is going to go from a 45-minute video down to a 10-second swipe. You're going to be able to swipe on your phone. Oh, nope, that wouldn't cash flow. Nope, that wouldn't cash flow. Oh, that might cash flow. Let me look at some pictures. Okay, let me do a real deep dive into this. Let me go to the tax assessor's website. Let me look at the exact taxes paid. Let me look at the seller disclosure. Let me see when was the roof replaced? When was the water here replaced? How old is the HVAC system? Is this something I need to account for within the next five years? Or was it just replaced? And I need to worry about this in 10 to 15 years. These are all things that you're going to consider on every property you analyze, but you have to get past the cash flow thing first. If it doesn't cash flow, just scoop by it. There's no point in looking at how old the roof is. There's no point in looking at how old the water heater is if it doesn't even cash flow. If all of the conditions on the property are perfect and it doesn't cash flow, and the if you're investing for cash flow, skip the property, okay? Just skip it. So I know I threw a lot at you guys, and it's probably going to take uh, a few, you know, it, it's going to take some time to really get to okay stop sharing i know that i throw a lot at you guys and it's going to take some time in order to understand this but if this is all a repetition game you need to break down you need to figure out you need to narrow down a market you need to figure out okay what area rents for how much what bedrooms am i looking for what bathrooms i'm looking for and start there And the more properties you analyze, the much, much easier you're going to get. You're going to learn where the flood zones are. You're going to learn where the bad neighborhoods are. You're going to learn the invisible lines in every single city that every single city has. They have invisible lines. You're going to learn all these things, but you're only going to learn it through repetition and studying. So I really, really hope you guys got some good information out of this episode. Again, I know I threw a lot at you guys, but... As I throw more and more, I dive deeper and deeper into these offhand conversations like HOAs. You guys are gonna continue to learn more, but that was a really, really dirty breakdown of all of the things you need to take into consideration when trying to purchase a rental property. With that being said, guys, I'm gonna wrap the episode up here. I really, really hope you guys found some enjoyment out of this episode. I hope I didn't flood you guys. i hope I did not deter you guys from looking into purchasing a rental property because I still do it. And so I was overwhelmed at first too. Just know that the more you do it, the easier it gets. But without further ado, guys, I'm gonna wrap it up here. I hope you guys enjoy. If you want one-on-one coaching, you guys can find that on my website down below. If you wanna reach out to me, ask me any questions on social media, all my social medias are linked down in the show notes below. Without further ado, I'm your host, James Bowman, guys. This is the Gen Z Money Podcast. And always remember, you're only as secure as your ability to perform. So spend your life accumulating assets that can perform for you. Later, guys.